You know what is amazing? Huh? The second we started our slate, I heard my brother in the other room start his shower. Oh, hell yeah. So, we clapped him into the shower. Yeah, we clapped him into the shower, and hopefully we can hear him in his glory uh, as we are recording. So. You know, I can't hear anything on my end right now, so maybe we're, we'll be good. Maybe we're Gucci. Maybe we're, we're Gucci. Gucci. Yeah. So, uh, should we just jump right into it? Let's let's jump. This is okay. So this week, uh, this month is the uh, the 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 bundle bourgeoisie uh, speed run attempt for all twelve games in one episode because it's been a hell of a month. I've moved twice. Uh, I've been diagnosed yeah. with fucking ADHD now. Like <laughs> I have a new job. I work as a cat concierge. Uh, I've started three jobs as of next week. <laughs> Johnny is a busy boy. We're all busy boys. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so yeah, let's just jump into this. Yeah, my name is David. Uh, I am also known as the WWE Superstar. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Johnny Bartlett, but I you can call me your boyfriend. I'm your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, you hear that? <laughs> if you if you didn't have one before, now you have one now. It's Johnny. Johnny's it's your canon. boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am your boyfriend. DM me. Johnny's I miss everyone's you. boyfriend. We don't talk anymore, babe. Yeah, why don't you talk with your boyfriend? Come on. Message us. Uh, <laughs> don't... We are the bundle bourgeoisie. <laughs> don't message us, please. <laughs> <laughs> My DMs are open. I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we have a lot of games to talk about this month. Yes, we have uh, Boreal Blade. Yeah, WWE 2K Battlegrounds. Kingdom, Two Crowns, Deadlands, Cyberhook, Wildfire, Hotshot Racing, XCOM, Chimera Squad, Peaky Blinders, Mastermind, Control, Ageless, Elix, and Pester Quest. All right, let's get into this. Let's see how quick we can knock this out. Uh, our first game is Ooh. Boreal Blade, made by Frozen Bite, which you may be familiar with because they did Trine 4, which was in the last bundle. Yeah. They also did Starbase, Nine Parchments, Has Been Heroes, and a ton of other games. They are on fire. They are cranking stuff out. And this is a medieval sword fighting game. I say sword, but you can also get shields and spears and stuff. Uh, it's mm -hmm. pretty interesting. The The whole gameplay is structured around this sort of radial system where you can determine where you want to slash or where you want to block. There's a couple different attack types. You can do a charge attack. If you stay alive long enough and do enough hits, you can throw your weapon, which is an insta-kill if they don't dodge it. Uh, so it, it's one of those sort of for honor kind of style fighting games. But it's got a lot of flaws, honestly. The pvp and matchmaking of this game is completely dead we found one other person to play with maybe two or three uh but that alone makes it really difficult to recommend this game lobbies are dead so you have to have friends to play with and even with friends to play with the fighting system is it's clunky the the radial system makes it difficult to control where you want your sword to go. It makes movement yeah. and aiming and blocking so tricky, and it's impossible to do two things at once in this game. There's no real, like, lock-on system or anything. It just kind of, like, oh, randomly aim and hope you hit something. Like, 
<laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's that sort of rock paper scissors style, but it feels like rock paper scissors if everyone was just playing with scissors and throwing them at each other and just like not actually playing rock paper scissors because you don't know how. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, I mean, like the couple of people that we did find to play with, like it seemed like they kind of had a better understanding of the game. At least like the the two that we found later on. The first one we found was pretty much our level and and not just that though but like the progression system leaves new players like way behind because mm -hmm. players later have access to like newer weapons and newer shields and newer armor that you know if you've got your dumb little training sword and you're going up against a guy with a spear it's it, you're just in a different league <laughs> but there's no sort of like rank or ranked matchmaking system or anything like that so it just it leaves a lot of want. Yeah. I can't believe how much money I got from some of the items that I just randomly got in the game. It was literally, like, more than the value of the actual game. Because I think this game is, like, what, $2 on Steam or something like that? Something yeah. ridiculous. And I got a, an item that was worth $2.60. So, literally paid for the game. Uh <laughs> Did it actually sell? Uh, I haven't sold it yet. Uh, I don't think. Okay. I I think it's just sitting in my account, but I can try. <laughs> I could report. Yeah, you back. should try and update us in the next next one, just so yeah. people know if it is a financially viable option. Because like, you can also just if if you can make money off it, you can just get in the lobby and grind with your friend. Like you get real experience just from playing with your friends. So yeah. maybe there's potential there. Uh, but all in all, I I have a hard time recommending it. <laughs> it it kind of subpar gameplay subpar structure in this in the systems and everything and just like clunky and a bad experience all around basically a bitcoin generator for steam yeah. achievement steam stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh not not to be mean but like there's just nobody playing this game yeah there, it, it, yeah it, it could be better if there was a better community for it but everyone who's playing the style of game is probably playing for honor yeah there's so many other options Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's really a battleground for this style of game mm -hmm. just like our next game wwe 2k battlegrounds is a battleground also uh developed by saber interactive they have done a lot of different games actually for quite a long time uh they've developed mudrunner halo 1 through 4 on pc uh time shift inversion ghostbusters the video game and the upcoming evil dead the game so lots of Damn. cool stuff there. Uh, don't know what happened with this one, honestly, Saber. Uh, maybe this was just the, the paycheck. Uh, this was published by 2K. Uh, they've done a lot of different games. Some notable ones are like Sid Meier's Civ, Borderlands, uh, XCOM, and sports. They do sports. Sports. Uh, the price... Uh, we're not going to talk about that. It, but it is like $40 standalone, which is quite a lot for a game like this, I feel like. Um, it is a Funko Pop WWE for the kids. Uh, it sort of feels like a little brother version of like the main event. And I'm going to try to rush through this because I wrote fucking way too much for this game. <laughs> uh, I'm not really a fan of WWE games. Uh, I was hoping that it would draw me in, and it didn't. It has this like very simple four button four player mash em up sort of style. Honestly, it reminded me of Shrek Super Slam, only marginally more complex, which is not really a compliment. Uh, you use uh, a lot of big names though, which I think is probably where the price tag of this game comes in because it has literally just about every major wrestler in history available. It's hard to, to license The Rock. 
yeah, it's hard hard to license him. He but he he's here and along with many different costumes that you can buy with in-game purchases or in-game unlocks cuz if you play the game enough you can unlock these things, but like it's definitely the kind of game that incentivizes you to not waste your time by like spending a ton of money. Um Although which... a user in your chat did mention a glitch to get unlimited uh of the of the points. Yeah, I don't know. I never tested it out. But if that's yeah. true, then maybe there's a way that you can just get everything yourself without having to buy anything. That's also a possibility. But I'm not going to subscribe to that 100%. Uh, I, I will say that like it, to unlock them regularly would take too much time. So much time. Uh, alternate outfits are available for like every character, though. There are daily challenges. Uh, yeah, I would like to unlock like more sort of stuff. You can for more of the in-game currency. Let's get to the gameplay. Uh, it plays pretty well on controller or keyboard. I noticed, which is actually a nice compliment. Uh, so you have like your punch, your kick, your grab and pin, and your throw buttons. So that's four buttons total. Uh, the grab pin buttons are the, the same one. And uh, basically, like. You also have to do QTEs a ton, which is something that, like, I personally hate as, like, a main gameplay mechanic, but uh, it's so heavily featured here that, like, it's, it's really impossible to get away from, even in, like... <laughs> I, I, I mash so much, and I don't want to have a surprise, you know? Like, I want to be able to, like, have, a like, a, in a fighting game, like, a system of combos that I can sort of rely on that, that I can always know will do damage or something, you know? Um, and, and the fact that, like... I will never 100% know what buttons to press at any given moment in this, and I have to always be paying 100% attention to, like, the QTEs that pop up on screen. It takes me out of it. It takes mm. me out of it, personally, because it, it needs to be more about, like, the, the, the reaction gameplay, I feel like. Um, yeah, getting kills in this game confuses me. I, it, every wrestling game confuses me. I, Dumb Monkey just wants bar that ends. I don't get how to like get a pin sometimes like i don't know when people are weakened or when they're uh, when they're cool it's it seems almost completely arbitrary sometimes um the one thing that i will say about this game is that there's so many game modes there's campaign which is pretty lengthy pretty beefy uh there's like these online ticket entry tournaments which you will never ever be able to try because no one's ever gonna buy a ticket for them uh king of the battleground which is like this uh online multiplayer thing where like if you get knocked out then you just leave and it's just however many however long you can stay there uh then you stay there but i definitely logged on and there were two people like ganging up on me as soon as i got into there so they had clearly just formed like a a wordless truce mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like unplayable um Battleground challenges and men's and women's exhibitions are also things that you can do. Stuff like one-on-ones, tag team matches, tornado tag teams, steel cage 1v1s and 2v2s, royal rumbles, gauntlets, fatal four-ways and triple threats. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> no. It sounds no. like sounds like a porn almost. Uh, gauntlet room that 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 yeah. means something that's that, like a yeah. four player game where you kind of run around oh yeah in a big open world gauntlet legends and keys. Huh. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah incredible game for the uh, playstation uh, nintendo 64 but not this game at all uh this game does have a make your own fighter feature where you can like make characters and i felt like it was super half-baked uh there's like five different sort of character types that influence your available moves and body types 
which are like high flyer technician all-rounder brawler and powerhouse but they all felt pretty much the same they only had a couple of very minor differences like being better at air combos or or being better at like just knocking people around being kind of it's like making a me fighter a little bit yeah it's sort of it feels like like about that level but like the proportions are weird they they, they look like children like like that height but like the proportions Mm -hmm. of an adult uh it's it's very very odd um i made two fighters though that i was i was decently proud of i made the big egg man uh who's a big strong version of Eggman from uh the recent live action Sonic the Hedgehog movie and Phantom Karen who is a terrifying menace uh an, an elderly woman who is your absolute worst nightmare I don't know why but they wouldn't let me do anything else other than a bikini so she has like a bright red bikini also uh so yeah um it, it there's so few options for making characters though like the, there's just it's no costume options unless you pay a shit ton of money and i feel like the body options are just minimal it's awful campaign um god i need to keep fucking going uh it's linear <laughs> told through comic book cutscenes, a couple optional fates some extra rewards along the way like costumes and skills maybe a couple more characters to play it follows stone cold steve austin and his quest to recruit more hopefuls to the wwe you start out as a guy named Bolo Reynolds. I thought he was kind of boring, and then later you play as a much more interesting character named Billy Huggins, who's like some sort of an outback character. Um, then you go into like some sort of you go all around the world, like Scotland, Detroit, uh, Mexico, some backwoods Floridian. Uh, you know, then you eventually wind up wind up at WrestleMania. Um, it's just. I I the loading screen doesn't automatically end when loaded. I I don't know. The tutorials aren't very good. Just a lot of reading, a lot of button mashing, and the introductions are also really long and really boring. Even though like that's usually a major selling point of a WWE game is that the intros are at least fun. So overall, I didn't care for it. I could see mashing through the story for a laugh, playing through it with a couple of friends as a goof. There isn't much substantial here uh, to keep me playing beyond like the sort of shallow collection and leveling loops and and unlocking things to make my monkey brain go i love the progression so hey speaking of collection and leveling loops and progression uh our next game is kingdom two crowns deadlands there you go which is pretty much the whole premise of this game uh it is a game from stumpy squid and furry studios and coat sync i don't know the relationship to the devs and what they contributed to the game i don't know if it's just like localization or ports or or if they all worked together to make this game uh but coat sync is the only one that has other games uh they did gang beast fogs and cake bash uh, and a few others Sub-editor Johnny here. It looks like the game was originally created by Thomas Vandenberg when he created the original Kingdom series as in attempts to learn animation. As Kingdom Classic and Kingdom New Lands took off, the IP was later purchased by Coatsync, who then helped develop the sequel Kingdom Two Crowns uh, with Thomas Vandenberg. Uh, and Gordon Van Dyke was apparently the sort of co-director and helped really closely with Thomas to develop Kingdom Two Crowns. 
Uh, Gordon Van Dyke is the owner of Fury Studios or Raw Fury Studios. And Thomas went on to create Stumpy Squid. So that is why there are so many developers involved in this game. Uh, it's sort of an indie project, it seems, that was created by a few people that then went on to make their own studios or get involved with other studios and create the sort of conglomerate that we had now. This is a a 2D side-scrolling. I'm going to describe it as an auto-clicker because that feels appropriate. Uh, it's... And there's there's a lot of depth for what is essentially an auto-clicker, because the whole premise of the game is you're on this, you know, 2D platform, you can move left, and you can move right, and you move left or you move right, and you find treasure chests, you find coins, you pick up money, you use the money to give to a peasant, the peasant comes and joins your town, you can give the peasant a role to be like a, a, a builder or a hunter, if they're a hunter they can kill things to give you more money, you can pick up that money and use the money to build walls and build defenses for your little place so when these slimy little monsters come they can't kill your people or your town. Uh, that, that, that's the gist of the game. It, it's, it's a lot of waiting around for things to generate money so you can use the money to improve the things around you, which is the premise of an auto-clicker. Um, but there's, but there's a lot of depth and variety. You know, you get, like, your, your character gets, like, an attack that stuns the enemies, uh, and you can use that to stun them so the archers can kill them and stuff like that. There's a lot of variety in the horse that you're riding. You can get different mounts that provide different benefits or change the gameplay a little bit. Like I got a, a deer or a, a stag that let me recruit, like run around the deer and then they'd follow me back to the town so I could force kills on them. Uh, there's other ones that like have different stamina levels and things like that. And there's a lot of strategy in how you build out and expand your world, you know, which walls you choose to upgrade first. Do you go out, do you build wide and then start building up or do you build up before you go wide? You know, there's a lot of little decision making points throughout the game. That's a lot of fun. Uh, the the story is it's very sit and forget, you know, it's it's all they give you some lore at the start. You know, you are you are the king or the queen of this land and, and it's been ravished or whatever and you're rebuilding it from the ground up. And so that's the whole premise of finding money, recruiting people, rebuilding your kingdom, and taking it back from these weird uh, shadow creatures that keep attacking you. And that's that that's that that's really all there is to the narrative. It's it's more in the Ludo narrative than it is in actual like story selling telling. Uh, <laughs> I wrote that it it kind of paints feudalism in like a very positive light. Yeah, that <laughs> is. I didn't really think about it, but yeah, it totally does. It's like. Well, this is like the right way things are going right now, where, where the peasants are being helped by the good king. Yeah, it, like, I mean, it's kind of funny because, like, you are, you, I am the king and I'm doing nothing. Like, all I'm doing yeah. is assigning jobs for other people to do. Yet still everyone, like, happily and willingly gives me all their money and I stockpile it in my treasury. But, like, I'm not doing anything. anything. I'm Nothing. not the laborers. The uh, yeah. the builders are doing all the building. The hunters are doing all the hunting. All I'm doing is just telling them to build a wall here. Like my <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird little look at feudalism, I think. I think that's a very important point to make because I think that a lot of games don't really consider the the implications of their their game systems necessarily and what they sort of say about like a or, or history. But th then again, it's also like I don't know, it, it sort of speaks for itself in some ways that like, it, yeah, it, there's I mean, no tutorial in this game. You just sort of like get plopped in and then you have to figure everything out. And it's just sort of natural. I, I guess maybe, I don't know. 
I, the little me, ghost, the little ghost lady that guides you around. Oh for yeah, the first, well, I like, guess. Half. I guess that is true. But like, mm-hmm. it, it, in the sense that the game lets you sort of figure things out that you're going left and right, and you're just sort of discovering things, and it feels like a natural progression of just like, oh, my, I have one thing I can do, which is pick up mm-hmm. gold and then drop it. That's it. That's the one major mechanic in this game, and it's sort of, I don't know. Yeah, I've it lost expands my itself out. I, yeah, I, I. I I, I like it. I think it's interesting. I think, you know, it, it, it's a sort of honest look at feudalism, but it is a little like, okay, this is a little too optimistic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the DLCs. So this game, this version comes with all of the DLCs for all of it. Uh, you get Deadlands and the Impot- Emperor. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's the exact name of it, but you get two different versions. All the DLCs do is they sort of change the thematic skins for the game. Uh, so one is set in like feudal Japan oh, and Shogun. the other is, yeah, the, the Shogun. Uh, that's what it is. Thank you. And the other is set in this sort of like, it's Deadlands, you know, you're in this like sort of weird sort of post-apocalyptic sort of drudgy, nasty kind of necromantic land. Uh, the the name of the game Kingdom Two Crowns comes from the fact that there are two crowns if you're playing co-op. Uh, both of you have a crown. If you lose your crown, you lose the game. Uh, if both players lose their crown in in that sense, if you're playing co-op, you lose the game. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 good. It it progresses at an alarmingly slow rate. I found. I don't know. It could just be that I have zero attention span. <laughs> um, but it, it felt like it was a couple hours to progress to the next island, and then when you get to a new island, it just it starts you back from ground one. Like you have to rebuild everything on this new island, including the boat that you had to build for travel, because apparently you crash it every time you <laughs> sail to an island. That seems uh, a little ridiculous. So. Yeah, so it it, it kind of drags on, and you're doing a lot of rebuilding rather than just kind of building and progressing. Uh, as you get to the second island, you get a new thing that lets you build stone, but now I have to rebuild the boat to go back to the first island to upgrade myself stuff to stone. You know, it's it's a lot of, like, backtracking, and, and just it, it felt slow and kind of dragged on between things. Uh, but... But it's a great, it's a great, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I know I'm kind of selling it short, but it, it was, it was a good passive game. We just kind of put it on in the background and had a conversation over it, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. It didn't take a lot of investment or thought or it was something that I could play passively yeah. and didn't have to pay a lot of attention to, which it goes back to that whole auto clicker format and you can split your attention elsewhere and you don't have to focus on the game. And I think this game, even though it has some sense of urgency with the nightly attacks, still does a great job of doing that. I feel like this is the kind of game that, like, if you were to get it, like, on two different Switches and just, like, chill while watching, like, a TV show, like, a chill, like, sitcom or something, like, that would be, like, the ideal experience for this game, where it's just that amount of idol where you kind of have to pay attention to it, but it's not too much attention that you have to give to it that, like, you can't pay attention to something else as well. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So, I, I, I don't think it's hard to recommend or anything i think it's decent i think a lot of folks will definitely enjoy the managerial aspects of the game uh, i we, we know some folks that really really enjoy this game and have sunk a lot of hours into it uh and the decisions do lead to a lot of strategy uh it, but for me personally there's a lot of low moments in between the high moments that can be a little off-putting i think that's totally fair uh our next game is all about high and low moments you'll find it is a game called Cyberhook. It is developed by Blazing Stick. It is uh they they they've developed Abysmal Fall, which looks like an arena action version of Don't Break the Ice. Uh oh. where you're like having to always like run around and like 
you know platforms like always falling from beneath you um mm -hmm. then you have uh their publisher graffiti games they've done a lot of interesting little things the adventures of chris uh the king's bird which we reviewed on the show a while ago uh blue fire nira joggernauts and to be released editor this is something you're gonna want to pay attention to, for God. your daily reminder that names are just a construct and don't mean anything at all who am i who is david we don't even know at this point turnip boy <laughs> commits tax evasion okay what <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, I'm taking a quick interlude to uh to go look that on up on my wish list. <laughs> yeah. I don't even need to view it. <laughs> yeah, uh, just the name is is I think a good selling point just on its own. Uh, so there's a demo available for Cyberhook, by the way, if you wanted to give this game a try. Uh, it this is a abstract first person free running game where the primary mechanic revolves around using a grappling hook. So. It plays very similar to another game that I played a while ago on here called Verlet Swing, uh, where Verlet Swing, you sort of click a, and hold to release the hook. Um, and like that was sort of like the only gameplay mechanic, and if you touch the ground, then you were sort of dead. Um, this game, you can actually like run around, jump on walls. You can actually like lash yourself onto walls and sort of like a, like a magnetic sort of a run. Uh, so you can keep your momentum, but then like sort of run along the wall really really fast and then like the way that the hook works is different too because uh in verlet swing it's more like sort of a taut hook they like when you hook onto it like that's it you don't get pulled to it at all you kind of have to use your own momentum and you can kind of use wazda to sort of control how you're kind of projecting yourself through space where in this game when you hook something and then you hold down the hook button it pulls you towards the hook really fast. This is why unlike Verlet Swing this game has a dedicated unhook button using right click. So it creates this sort of forward feeling momentum that makes it really really fun and easy to go for fast times in the levels which you're going to want to do because it's all about going for the top score. Uh, you get scored on a, on a level of like zero to three stars sort of like a mobile game and um, one of the, the coolest things about this game that is a huge selling point above Verlet Swing is that you can go into the leaderboards for any level and you can look up the top levels, players, uh, like playthroughs of the game. Like the, and you can just look at how they did it. And you can see like... I fucking ah, love this feature. And I think any mm, game focused on speedrunning, like Remnants of, beautiful. of Nazareth, uh, whatever that game was we yeah, reviewed, Nazareth, had that same... Yeah. yeah had that same feature and like being able to see and understand how other people are doing it. I think that's primo. Like, cause there are so many tricks that I just picked up on by watching people that were better than me. And I would have had to go to like a, a third party source. Like I did with Verlet swing on YouTube in order to find like people actually doing really good at the game in order to figure out how I could get better. So uh, in that sense, I feel like this is so much more beginner friendly. It's so much easier to get into and to be able to like actually get to the end of this game uh because it helps you along so much and there are also so many different mechanics that you can use uh to sort of help your yourself along the way uh there is this like um shift mechanic if you press uh left shift then uh you can slow down time it, which can help you hook and then it also extends your hook's reach a tiny bit so if you're actually speed running then you can use that extra reach to make a super long jump that you never thought was possible and it just mm -hmm. every every option in this game that could provide speed is just like another 
toolkit and then another tool in your toolkit in order to 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 really speed through these different levels and it's so much fun to soar through the air shoot finger bullets to eliminate obstacles in your path it's it's just like it's a blast um there's sort of a couple different terrain elements that are, are all color-coded uh which is a lot more clear compared to verlet swing where just every single thing that you saw was death uh but like it was kind of unclear sometimes what things you were allowed to touch and what things you were not with your hook uh, yeah. So in this game, uh, blue is safe and hookable. Yellow is safe, but you can't hook it. Uh, pink and purple are unsafe, but you can hook them. Where uh, green is safe and hookable, uh, but you have to be uh, like usually there's it's safe. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's safe, like you can touch it, but you usually can't hook it, and you have to eliminate with a finger pistol. God, that's complicated. And then red just kills you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this sort of color-coded system and making it very easy and accessible for players to see from a distance what is safe and what isn't. Yeah, and, and it makes it like you can just look at a level from a glance and be like, okay, that, well, that's what I'm going to have to deal with in this level. Question on that note. Uh, because it's so color-coded, was there any sort of colorblind accessibility options, do you know? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, so the game does not have any colorblind accessibility options. However... It does have different visual indicators for the colors as well. So rather than just colors, there are also alternative uh, visuals with stripes and, and lines and stuff within the blocks to help indicate which ones are safe and which ones are not. I don't know how well this helps for colorblind accessibility. I, I hope it helps some, but there are no direct options for accessibility, unfortunately. Uh, there are two modes available to you right away, uh, which is just the level select and the uh, Steam Workshop levels. So the level select is the main campaign. Uh, it has a whole bunch of different individual levels that you can play through, uh, whereas the Steam Workshop has a whole entire, you know, fucking level editor with a whole bunch of games from the community that you can play. I didn't find too many that I, I played through, but I did find one that gave me an, a bunch of achievements because it made me go super fast and flung me into the air. So that was highly recommended. Uh, oh, yeah. You can also view all of your best times and saved replays from the main menu, which is pretty neat. And uh, one of the things that I really like about this game is the fact that when you first launch the game, it doesn't immediately send you to the level select, that you get to actually have this like hub area where you can actually re uh, sort of orient yourself to the controls of the game and the mechanics and the momentum of it. And it has like a whole bunch of different like uh, sort of things, like a little playground for you to play around in that's like no, no pressure, no rush. And it lets you just like, all right, so I'm back in the game. Like when I was trying to get back into Verlet Swing, that was an issue that I had because I was like, I don't remember how to play this game super well, man. This mm -hmm. is a little bit difficult. But in this game, I could be like, all right, this is a safe spot for me to practice, figure out everything, and I'm good to go. I think that's a, that's a awesome. highly, highly underrated feature that more games should utilize. Um, oh my god, I need to keep going. Uh, there are like monthly challenges for once you beat the game, uh, like full game marathons. Uh, also, there's like this whole, whole sort of story that plays out in a very, very slowly where like this clippy guy is like telling, you, you know, there's like a virus like happening here. And uh, at the end of the game, he tells you like, uh, you know, the virus is actually going to stay here until there's something close to 10,000 people like you. So I think that means that once 10,000 people beat the game, something cool might happen. I don't know. But uh, maybe that's just the way that they're trying to convince more people to play the game. <laughs> uh so I should talk about the aesthetic for a moment, which 
Uh, I've been comparing Verlet with uh, this game a lot, but they're two very different games, sort of aesthetically, and I don't know how else to describe them uh, in an audio format, so this is going to be a bit long, but here we go. If I had to describe sort of the difference between these two, um, I would say that Verlet Swing was very vaporwave, which is sort of this ironic meme-based genre that originated in the early 2010s. It has this like ambiguous satirical take on consumer capitalism and is defined by like its slowed down choppy samples of like smooth jazz and R&B, elevator and lounge music. It incorporates uh, elements of early internet imagery, uh, late 1990s web design, glitch art, uh, a lot of like Japanese uh, text and anime, uh, some 3D rendered objects and like cyberpunk tropes. It sort of is meant to feel like abandoned wear and uses a much lighter palette. Uh, a really good example of this would be the song Floral Shop by Macintosh Plus, which is almost sort of like the progenitor of all Vaporwave. Uh, then mm -hmm. there's Synthwave, which is what this game is more based off of, which um, it's also called Retrowave, Outrun, or Future Synth. It's more so the music associated with action and science fiction and horror kind of soundtracks of the 1980s. So you can think of movies like Drive and Blade Runner. Uh, it became popular in the mid to late 2000s due to the French house movement, actually. And visually it okay. calls back to, yeah, the, the, the 1980s aesthetic of like VHS tracking artifacts. Uh, so like the magenta neon grid lines and in the darker palette, think like Bar Cry, Blood Dragon and like Stranger Things. So, uh, it, it, this is all just to say that the music in this game is fucking great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It, I wouldn't have brought up the, his, the the history of the genre and the difference between these two very different uh, sort of genres of music if it weren't like for the fact that they're both very good but very different. Um, it gets your blood pumping to race through these different levels, and I really love it. Um, I I felt like some levels kind of suck, especially later on, because they limit the amount of freedom of choice that you have with your movement options. Like very narrow path to victory in terms of like these very narrow corridors where like everything is going to kill you just about, and there's only a couple of small platforms that you're able to like actually hook onto at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's at its best when you have these big, long, open-ended levels where you can just like make up your own shortcuts and skips in order to like kind of save time in your own way to get the three star. Um, and this isn't really a nitpick, but I did kind of like the aesthetic of Verlet Swing more, even though I did like the music of this game more, which is I don't know if that is weird, but. I don't know. I, I like floating pizzas more than I like grid lines. <laughs> uh, so I mentioned the lobby area. I'd recommend this game to anyone who's interested in how first-person platforming can be done right. It's incredibly fast, incredibly fun, and a joy to complete. Uh, I really like getting three stars on levels. It feels really awesome to do, uh, to like get past that wall of frustration. It, 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 it's ecstatic. I will be, I will be coming back to to experience this this hot fire of a game wildfire by sneaky bastards it's 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 their only game uh this yeah. is a 2d side scrolling stealth adventure game and i say stealth in the sense that like dishonored is a stealth game while every mission can be completed stealthy and you're usually rewarded for it you can also wreak havoc and murder everyone and run through it or whatever. Like there are lots of ways to play it and you're not just confined to stealth. It's not like the game ends. If you get caught, David and I were being murder hobos and just running around <laughs> killing everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's, it's fun to do that. It's, it's very chaotic <laughs> when you play it in two player. We, we had the developers show up on our stream, which was actually really cool. And he sort of explained to us that like, 
in first person, like with only one player, this game sort of plays like a L Avatar Metal Gear Solid type game uh, where you're like harnessing the four elements to to become like a super stealthy master ninja. Whereas when you play it with four players, it's almost like trying and sort of like the chaos and party uh, sort of nonsense that ends up happening. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of like variety and way you can sort of solve the puzzles of getting past the enemies. Uh, and and the the story of the game it focuses on the sort of classic trope of like young hero gains power and comes to find their town has been ransacked by tyrannical government fools, and, and now you have to fight your way through and and save the town. It, it's that very generic uh, sort of trope. And and it's, it, it plays out that way through most of it, it feels like, at least as far as we got. But while the story's kind of generic, the NPCs have a lot of wonderful personality. Like, one of the first characters you meet is a fucking orange vendor, and he reminds me of the cabbage vendor from Avatar. And, like, <laughs> you just, like, bust down his boxes of oranges, and you have to, like, help him gather them back up. It's a lot of fun. And then all the enemies... You can also, you can also belt him with an orange, which we, which we didn't try, but we found out that from the developer that you can totally just fucking pelt him. Huck an orange at him and knock yeah. him out. Yep. Uh, <laughs> which is funny, because you also find out later that the orange vendor is also, like, the guardian of the town and was hiding in his orange or fell asleep in his orange box or something like I, <laughs> it's cute uh it, it the, i i'm not gonna mark that as a spoiler because that's like five minutes into the game if that uh it's very cute orange vendor's cool and all the uh enemies you they're at moments where you get to overhear them talking and having some like banter and chatting and it's great and a lot of fun and uh, most of the characters have a ton of personality uh, i really enjoyed the dialogue in this game but the gameplay itself is all about using elements to your advantage. You know, you use you use fire to create smoke to to hide your presence from enemies, or you burn the grass to make them run away from an area so you can sneak up somewhere. Uh, you can manipulate water to make, like, bubbles to travel and stuff like that. You can put out fire with water. It, there, there's a lot of, like, interactions with the elements that you can do, and that's the core loop and strategy of this gameplay is, is how do I use these elements to get past this area, to get past the environment, to sneak past the enemies, or to just belt them with fire and kill them, like, <laughs> uh so yeah there's there's a lot of depth and variance in how you can solve and do each level i i think it's great i i really enjoyed the gameplay of it i especially enjoyed playing it co-op uh mm -hmm. the upgrade system feels a little more technical than exciting it's a lot of like well you can throw this 0.2 percent further now uh, but, you know, it's still useful and plays a big role in progressing through the game. Like, making your fire bounce a second time is still very helpful. Yeah, there were some things in there that, like, they don't seem like they would be that helpful until you get them. Like, one of them was, uh, your fire returns to you when it doesn't hit anything. And at first you're like, well, whatever. But then, like, oh, my God, that saves you so much time. So, yeah, that was that was actually the rune system, which is, like, a separate oh. upgrade system. Uh, so there, there are points you can spend to sort of upgrade the technical abilities of your spells. Uh, and then there's also runes that you can find hidden through the level and you can equip them, uh, either on the main menu or at a save spot. And they, they sort of alter the gameplay a little bit. Uh, I think the runes are much more interesting than the upgrade system in, in that, like you can return your, your fireball or, uh, what were some of the other options? Uh, crouching makes you harder to detect by enemies, uh, enemies who see you in a bubble will panic and flee. Uh, while dripping wet after leaving water, enemy bobcats will be unable to smell you. All kinds of like little tweaks like that. All in all, it's a fantastic game, especially if you have a friend to play with. Uh, I think the, the co-op adds a lot of 
spice to it, but still definitely worth playing alone. Alone, you're going to get more Dishonored vibes, I feel like. Uh, the, the, or what'd you say, Metal Gear? Yeah, Metal Gear uh, is what the developer yeah. described it as. Yeah, it's, it's a much more sort of like sneaky, I can plan things out and spend my time working on this area. Uh, rather than like, uh, we have two people, we can do whatever we want, no one's going to stop us. So, uh, <laughs> it's, We have it's two people fest. that can cast fire. Fuck you. We are on fire what are you now. What do about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like... Uh, <laughs> I think it's a fantastic game. And for an indie dev's first game, I think it really shows like what they can do and what other things might come out of the studio. And so I, I think supporting a game of the scale and like this, this quality is, is worth it alone. I think the dev Honestly, said they spent like five years working on it one of the highlights of this bundle for me uh i haven't like put in what my favorite game of the bundle yet is because i don't know for sure what it is but um this is really high up there actually i really enjoyed this one it's so much fun just playing as these like literal hot shots like that's what you're doing you're just shooting fire it's just hot shots just hot shots all around like our next game hot shot racing developed by sumo digital here folks uh this uh developer has done a couple of games actually uh, it turns out that they are the developers of the Broken Sword games, which is like uh, a bunch of old point-and-click games, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they have done the Sonic Racing games. They made Little Big Planet 3, Snake Pass, Crackdown 3, Sackboy, A Big Adventure, and some other racing games that you might have uh, played before, like Outrun 2, Dirt 2, F1 2009 and 11, and Forza Horizon 2. So, like, I honestly was shocked at the sort of pedigree of this developer, considering the sort of nature of this game. It's actually very small and kind of cute and more indie in nature, I feel like. Um, this is also developed by Lucky Mountain Games. Perhaps this is the reason why. Uh, he's a 3D artist named Trevor Lay, and this might be sort of like his pet project, I think, and perhaps Sumo Digital is more of like a, a, a sub-developer that sort of helped him out. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is published by Curve Digital. Curve, I'm going to mention a couple times today. They've done, uh, For the King, Autonauts, Ember, American Fugitive, which we did on our bundle, uh, Human Autonauts Fall Autonauts as well. Yeah, Autonauts as well. Uh, and Snake Pass. Uh, they published Serial Cleaner, Stealth Bastards, and, uh, also coming up later in the bundle, Peaky Blinders. So um, this is a arcade-inspired retro racing game in the vein of games like Outrun 2, Daytona USA, Sega Racing, Ridge Racer, and the Cruisin' USA and Cruisin' World games. Uh, it's constantly got this like counting down timer that's super arcadey that gets larger whenever you pass certain checkpoints. Uh, it's all about breakneck speed, uh, and it's more of like where the arcadey fun aspect is emphasized over realism. Uh, it feels great to just punch the gas through corners and go through a sick drift. It never gets old, man. That's just fun. The aesthetic uh, is pretty good. Uh, the, the soundtrack is fantastic, though somewhat uh, repetitive. It really gets your heart going. Uh, it's very simple and blocky, the sort of visual aesthetic of it. Um, it uses primary colors in a very limited palette. It's very reminiscent of the Dreamcast era. It sort of feels like a port of an old arcade game a little bit, but more crisp in the sort of colors and edges. Uh, the simple polygons just shoot past the characters 
and it really sells the speed of the game surprisingly well. You don't need to have it be super complicated when you're really just going for speed. So in that sense, I think it works pretty well. Um, so they are a couple of modes that you can play. Yeah, so there's a Grand Prix, which is sort of like a Mario Kart Cup, complete with normal, hard, and expert difficulties. And uh, the cups only really have like four main level types, oddly, which is just the beach, an alpine mountain, a jungle, and a desert level. I imagine that's due to budget constraints. Uh, and I wish that there was more nuance to the different tracks. Uh, though there is some level of, like, variability where, like, some levels will have, like, you know, more of, like, a, a, a mountain kind of volcano theme, whereas another one will have, like, a, a jungle uh, ruins theme, you know, and it kind of mixes it up a little bit within the sort of sub-archetypes. Um, but it does give me some flashbacks back to specifically Beetle Adventure Racing, uh, like the Alpine stage and, and stuff like that and the beach levels as well. I don't know. There's, there's not like stuff to find in the levels like that game, but, uh, it, in terms of the, how it looked. There's single races as well, uh, which, uh, you could kind of divide up into the sub game modes of arcade, cops and robbers, uh, drive, uh, or explode, which is like literally the movie drive. You have to keep going or you explode. Uh, <laughs> and Barrel Barrage, which is uh, just a game type where you can constantly leave barrels and you have to race around the track and avoid the barrels. It's uh, very fun, but I wish that it wasn't confined to single race. It's like free DLC that I think they added later on a lot of these game types. And uh, I wish that I could do them in like the Grand Prix or something instead of being restricted to just the uh, arcade game type. Um mm -hmm. Then the uh, there's also like a time trial where you can race ghosts of uh, characters in various courses. There is an online that I could basically not find matches for. There's a dedicated Discord community that you can maybe find gatherings with that way, but it has an average concurrent player rate of around 50 players, and it's not easy to get players playing with you. There's a race shop where you can modify outfits of characters and stuff. Uh, so anyway, I should talk about the gameplay. You ride around the track. <laughs> And uh, it's just like a lot of other racing games. It uses decently realistic racing physics, but like ramping, ramping the realism up to 11, where like uh, one thing that I noticed that I think a lot of other players complained about with like rubber banding, I think, I think is mainly just the AI utilizing how broken the drafting is in this game. Because if you get in the tail uh, of an opponent, you can really catch up to them like super fast and it makes races super aggressive where usually it'll be like two to three players constantly passing each other at like the front of the race, uh, always trying to like maintain their place. But that also means that it's really easy to lag behind. And if there's no one that you can actually trail behind, then like you're, you're fucked, you're done. You mm -hmm. can't, you can't get the speed you need. So it, it kind of, I, I could see that being a little bit tiring at times. There are uh, eight different racers that you can play as with six different nationalities, uh, so each one has like their own different selection of cars to choose from. And they're a little generic, uh, but their voice lines do give the characters a little bit more personality during the game. Uh, the four main car types are pretty simple. It's just balanced types, uh, acceleration types, speed type, and drift type. It's like literally only three stats to take, keep track of. Uh, how quickly you get started, how fast you go after you got started, and how well you're able to take turns essentially like that's it 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, pretty simple. It's pretty easy to get into, but it also feels like not super substantial. I played it for two hours, and I almost feel like after getting through like the first round of Grand Prix, maybe I would go back for like the other two Grand Prix, and if I could get a, a couple of friends to play it with, I would play the uh, like the, the single race modes, because those seem like a ton of fun. But otherwise, I... I don't know that there's there's too much here. I mean, like most of the customization doesn't really feel like it matters, honestly, because it's so simple, the aesthetic. Mm. And the AI in the game is so aggressive that it always like slams into you uh, a lot when it doesn't really seem appropriate, maybe because of how uh, insane the sort of drafting mechanic is. Um, it's, I, I imagine on the higher difficulties, it would get even worse. <laughs> Just always on your ass dude so i i wish that there were more ways to play the fun extra modes in in sort of a single player context other than through single race or, or the dead online modes so if, if you can find somebody to play it with i would recommend it if you're a fan of these old arcadey racing games and you want more of that like specific adrenaline rush you're, you're nostalgic for it you miss it you could probably you could probably enjoy it a little bit i think i think that, that there's definitely something that you can do if you were to assemble a crew of your friends together, a crew of, uh, of a diverse, yeah. you know, roster of your friends to uh, play this game. Y- you know, too bad most of my friends are just like, they're just aliens. They they're don't aliens. know how to use a controller. They're aliens, uh, you know? Yeah, like tentacles and whatever, maybe snake limbs, whatever they Yeah, have. mostly just snake people. Oh, I d- yeah. yeah. Uh, just like in XCOM Chimera Squad, I'm really glad of the snake people representation. Thank uh, God this for is- that. A game from Firaxis Games, which, if you're familiar with, did Civilization games, the XCOM games, the Sid Meier's games, you know, XCOM and these kinds of games are their jam. You know, this is a one of those uh, top-down, turn-based statistics shooters, uh, is what I'm, I'm going to call it, because mm-hmm. uh, that's what it is. It's a statistics shooter. It's all about stats. I, I highly recommend you check out our XCOM 2 review from May 2020 last year. If you want more like technical in in depth talk of the gameplay and stuff, I, I'm you know we're going quick today, so this is just a, a broad overview. Uh, the gameplay is very similar to XCOM 2, so if if you've got a gauge of that, you'll know what this game kind of plays like. And I absolutely loved this game. Like honestly, in our XCOM review, I mentioned that. A lot of little complaints and flaws about the game, that nitpicky stuff that I didn't enjoy. But this game fixed all of those issues I had. I I even mentioned, I think, that Chimera, Chimera Squad was, looked like it would fix some of the issues I had, and it absolutely did. I, I think this game is beautiful. It's streamlined. The UI is less cluttered and easier to understand. The story is straightforward and well-presented. It, it's all the XCOM experience but made way, way smoother, way more accessible, way less intimidating. I, I think it's phenomenal. I'm, I'm sure there are traditionalists out there that probably hate a lot of the little changes that this game did. Uh, but for someone like me who was never super into the series, I, I think it just it made it way more approachable and friendly. Even just the sort of style of the game was more approachable rather than being the sort of like mini war games, you know, sort of style. It's this one's kind of cartoony and sort of like a comic book. And I, I think presenting it in that way, even just the graphics alone makes it more approachable. Uh gameplay you know turn-based stat stats shooter find cover take your 16 to 80 percent chance to hit someone kill some fools and hope your guys don't die uh <laughs> that that's the gist of it there's some there's some really cool stuff in this game you know you can equip everyone with 
items or equipment so you can have them bring in med kits or frag grenades or uh, drones or whatever piece of equipment you feel appropriate you can add attachments to the guns that increase your chance to hit or like you can add trank rounds which allows you to just knock the enemies unconscious when you shoot them rather than kill them which gives you intel which you can spend on things uh, I, I think it's great. There's a lot of like variance in character customization and the items that you bring in. It it really it, it it adds a lot of decision points that aren't just do I take this shot or not. Um, the characters too. They there's a lot of different characters with different abilities. You know, you unlock Snake Man who can just bind enemies. Uh, you can like lick them forward to you and then bind them, which constricts them and stops them from attacking. But your opponents can't shoot that guy because, you know, there's an ally on him and you don't want to shoot your ally. Uh, there's uh, a breach system, which you choose which areas you approach from and you can assign your different people to different areas. And each area gives you advantages or disadvantages. Some things give you like extra armor or increased hit chance, while other things make it to where you can't use your gun for the encounter. Uh, but breaching at different areas sort of like allows you to flank enemies and create different angles and advantage in that way so there's a lot a lot of little strategy here that's like a lot of fun uh and and the characters play a big big role in that and so you, you know when you get decisions of selecting characters it's it's it, you know you you actually get to put some thought into it and decide what's going to be beneficial for your play style and everything uh there's a lot to manage in the systems. You know, you can have people doing spec ops missions while you're doing the missions to clear out the town and help people. Uh, there's an anarchy meter that if it fills too much, you lose the game. So you have to manage the different districts and keep their anarchy level low by doing missions in different areas. Uh, the system itself is set up a lot like This is the Police 2, where you have this sort of like managerial map with the districts of the city. And you have like five or six different missions you can do at any given time. And whatever missions you do give you different bonuses or progress the city in different ways. And then usually they're not available after the next day or two. So it's that sort of managerial system. It plays a lot like this is the police too, without any of the misogyny, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> the story itself is, uh, for those who are interested in the XCOM lore, it takes place after the big old XCOM war that you're doing in XCOM 1 and 2. Uh, and this is sort of like an environment where the aliens are welcome, we're working together, we're building the world together. Uh, and you play as the, like, they're the XCOM feds, and you're recruited by the city to, like, help keep things safe, because anarchy and disrest is growing to an all-time high. And you've got these pockets of resistance folks that are, like, they assassinated a council member in the very first mission. And, like, you're you're working to sort of stop these, like, XCOM magas who don't want integration from the the aliens to be like mainstreamed and figure out which groups are actually responsible for this disrest and it, it it's fun it, it's it's a really good story. <laughs> My grandfather was killed by a snake. I'll have you know they're all dangerous. <laughs> they're all deadly. You don't trust a single That's snake. That's what a lot of it is. And so there's there's also like a lot of really great parallels in that conversation in our real world that like the story does a good job sort of metaphorizing. I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> making into a metaphor. Uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw and a lot of really good stuff about like civil distrust and and feds and government working against people who are trying to to unrest and and like the differences and nuances between like the groups and why they're doing it and stuff i i, I love the the story I, I think it's it's worth checking out 
um fantastic fantastic game i i wholly suggest the game for anyone who may be new to the XCOM series who may be intimidated by it because it's an intimidating series uh, or people who even like dislike the structure or gameplay of the earlier ones you might find this one more accessible and more in lines of what you were hoping for i certainly did so yeah i i recommend this game it's it's great uh it, it really uh it it, it it masterminded the formula, I think, that they were trying to curate in the first yeah. sort of overcomplicated games. Yeah, just the this it's a mastermind of of just a using a, a wide range of diverse casts of different characters and you know, it's just like our next game actually, Peaky Blinders Mastermind, developed by Future Lab. They uh actually helped make PC building sim, the esports expansion specifically. And uh they also have made uh, the Velocity games, which it seems like not many people have played. And very soon, they're going to be releasing uh, a game that I'm excited about, Power Wash Simulator. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to take a bathroom break while you talk about this. <laughs> okay. God. All right. Well, they're the same publisher as uh, Hotshot Racing, so just everything that I said about Hotshot Racing, uh, it's the same here. It's Curve Digital. Um, this is a puzzle adventure game where you play as the various members of a 1920s street gang, and you have the ability to rewind and fast forward through time. It's based on a Netflix TV show, I guess. I didn't actually realize that when I first started playing through it. And I have to say, for a like licensed sort of title, it's really good. Uh, the story, though, I I could not get sucked in. I it has a lot of ties to the TV show in ways that like it sort of assumes that you know these characters and have a prior association with them. It sort of drops you right in, assuming that like oh yeah, you know the background, you know what's going on. And I didn't, and I honestly for a while thought that this game took place in America, but I'm pretty sure that this all takes place in Britain. <laughs> if that gives you an idea for how little to sort of explain things throughout the game. Uh, basically, the Peaky Blinders, the story is that they do high stuff until they anger the Chinese, and you must get revenge against the Chinese. Until one of your buddies gets kidnapped by the Chinese, and you must rescue them from the Chinese. I don't know why it's such a focus in this game to focus so much on the the Chinese, but I kind of got tired of it after a while. I don't know. Maybe that's like sort of a bigger deal in the show. Like, like they, I don't know, like the justification for why they're so anti-Chinese in this. Like, if there's like Chinese gangs or something, but it just seems weird. I don't know. Uh, the gameplay it reminded me weirdly of Blinks, but set in 1920s Britain from a top-down perspective. Everything plays out in this uh, large timeline uh, on the top of the screen that keeps track of every character's actions throughout the mission. Uh, basically, you have to program each character's actions to work in sync with all the other characters so you can solve puzzles uh, in these different areas. And then you get scored on each level uh, on a scale of like zero to three uh, stars, just like you know uh, another game mentioned today. Uh, you control like the main person who's like the mastermind character. Uh, controls who... our next game by Remedy. Oh fuck! Never mind. Damn you, it. fucking asshole! That wasn't the same. You way. fucking Matt. You fucking ass. You fucking you fucking dick. 
not even fucking there yet. <laughs> Just coming back in, trying to fucking insert yourself. Is that what you think you're doing? <laughs> what you think you can do? You missed the whole part of where I talked. I said, I said the Chinese at least five times. <laughs> You'll have to find out the context of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you control uh, the main sort of mastermind person and uh, there are other like main controllable characters that you get as well as the story progresses uh, who have like special abilities there's this kid for example who can crawl through spaces there's a guy who can destroy barricades with fire there's another guy who can deal with dudes I mean like just in general I think the the dudes can just deal with guys in combat, but the lady, her her role is to distract the guard, because no one suspects yeah. the lady. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you also get access to like a couple other temporary characters that you can ask to do like a simple quick task, which was an interesting mechanic. It takes like mm -hmm. you know you get fifteen seconds for this character to do whatever they want to until you lose control of the character. So it's sort of like a stealth puzzle game. Uh, it seems like the main. Uh, incentive for playing it is to uh, like I'm replaying it rather because it's very short. It's like ten levels. Oh, and that's I, not bad. No, it's like five hours long total uh, if you were to just blaze through it. Um, but like it seems like the main incentive for going back to it is just uh, optimizing your run and like trying to go for as fast as possible on each mission, uh, because that gets you like the higher rating for for each mission. Uh. So yeah, it's 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 a neat little puzzle stealth game. It's pretty good for being a licensed game based on a Netflix show, uh, which I didn't realize that it was until I played it. You, you missed that part as well, but that's fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's cool. Uh, it, it it's fun to control all of these uh, characters using this uh, this timeline mechanic. Speaking of time. Uh, Control, our next game by Remedy Entertainment, has a lot to do with like time and time manipulation. Actually, it doesn't very much, actually. I, uh, you know, I gave you control. Games, I, gave, break. I said the word control and you didn't take it. You didn't take it. You, Whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> when I... <laughs> <laughs> when i played this game uh i want to make a note that like the whole time i was playing it i was thinking man this game just like heavy alan wake vibes i didn't even think to look up the developer who was remedy entertainment who also made quantum break and alan wake and i've recently found out today max Payne one and two so yo uh fantastic developers uh i had some chocolate sauce on my chair that's fine um and this is a uh third person over the shooter focused heavily on let me take that again this is the third person over the shoulder shooter focused heavily on like world building and lore uh the game is all about getting these magic powers i use in air quotes and using them to fight your way through different areas of this building that you're trapped in to learn more about a government organization and what happened to your brother involving this government organization uh, the gameplay Super straightforward. There's some boss fights, uh, and there's lots of little groups of enemies that come out every time you, like, complete an objective or go into a new area. If you've played any of the sort of, like, Alan Wake, Quantum Break, and even sort of, like, Gears of War, uh, that kind of style of gameplay and core loop, that's that's what you're expecting in this. It's very much walk into an area, clear out a wave of enemies, go into the next area, clear out, do your objective, go into the next area, fight a little boss uh, kind of thing. 
it's super straightforward the abilities add a lot of strategy to combat you get things like the ability to telekinesis uh environmental objects near you uh you get the ability to dash and dodge you get like a shield you can lift up from debris around you so it adds a lot of strategy to the combat and you can mix things up everything kind of has a cooldown so you're juggling a lot between like using the 12 bullets in your gun to switching over to like throwing debris at things to kill them uh gameplay's a lot of fun but but the focus of this game is obviously the story it's one of those games that the game plays in service of the story uh and the story is it's fantastic it's all about the sort of like ideas of government corruption and secrets and the flow of information to the general public the whole world is set in this sort of warehouse 13-esque place uh, all of the abilities you get are tied to objects, so the objects are sort of anomalies that have some sort of intrinsic magic properties. If you've seen Warehouse 13, it's, it, it deals with a lot of stuff like that. You know. To avoid spoilers for Control, skip to one hour and eight minutes. You know, the, the, the gun you get makes you the director of the place, uh, because it's just an intrinsic power. Like, if you can't handle the power of the gun, you kill yourself. And and so the only people that can wield the gun are the people that are worthy of uh, running this organization. Um, and you find out through, like, little bits of lore and stuff, like, the gun is, it takes on many forms. It was King Arthur's sword kind of thing. Um, oh. So it's, yeah, exactly. It's not just a gun. It's, uh, they call them objects of power. It's an object huh. of power. Yeah, and, and not, they're not all necessarily confined to the same shapes and ideas uh, throughout time. It's really cool. Uh, you, like, later on you get... Uh, we should mark this area as spoilers just in case um, <laughs> from a little bit before. Uh, this is the post-spoiler spoiler warning to, for the editors to go back and mark this area as spoilers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you get, like, a, uh, a safe, and the safe is the object of power. And, and by, by finding and, and wielding the safe, you get the ability to stick the shield up. Uh, so, so the objects of power give you some sort of power in, in the real world. You find a floppy disk. The floppy disk is an object of power, and that also gives you, uh, I think the floppy disk was the ability to dash? I don't know for sure. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's the, it's all about these objects of power, and you find, like, through the lore and through the information about them, you find out what the objects are, sort of, like, where the the object was was located the cause it had in the world before this organization picked them up and got them out of there um and so it's all it's all about this the secret branch of the government whose whole job is to contain these secret objects and cover up and justify the anomalies to the world it, it's even to the point where the building you're in is an anomaly itself which is why they house their stuff there because like the the lore behind the building is that like it 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 takes it can be anywhere in the world at a given time. Like if people who walk into it, see it as a normal office building, unless you like know the truth about it or something, it's really complicated. Uh, I, I don't know the exact lore of it, but every single object in this game that is of power has some, a lot of lore behind it and stuff. Uh, there's, 
there's some weird disconnects in the story at the start. Like your character immediately sort of like accepting and enjoying her role as the new director. She's like, yes, this is the world I was meant to be in this crazy weird world. But at the same time, constantly complaining and expressing disdain and, and distrust and, Hmm. and anger against this whole organization. So like she becomes the director and she's like, yes, this is my role in the world. But at the same time, like I can't tell them anything. They're corrupt. I need to find out what happened to my brother. Like, it, there's a little bit of disconnect. It kind of irons itself out as you go, uh, but but there are a little like little little hiccups in the storytelling. I feel like like what do you really want here? Or do you want to be all powerful, or do you want to like figure out the truth? Like I don't yeah, know. exactly. Uh, a lot, uh, almost all of the lore is buried in notes and memos hidden throughout the world. So you'll do a lot of like reading and exploring. If you want the juicy bits, you know, if you want to find the piece of paper that tells you what the gun is and that it was like King Arthur's sword and shit, too, uh, you, you got to dig for that info. But I, I think that's pretty expected from Remedy Entertainment and these devs in particular. They they did that with Alan Wake and Quantum Break. A lot of it is like finding the breadcrumb of information throughout the world. So I think it's I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a really good game. I, I think it's one of those games you can play several times and notice new things and find new connections that you hadn't before. Uh, if you're interested in games with a lot of lore and world building, the combat is easy enough to get through that it doesn't feel frustrating. So so you can kind of grind through the moments you don't like if you're only interested in the world building. But it's also not too easy that like if you're there for gunplay and that core gameplay loop that it gets boring. Like it, it stays pretty interesting uh through the game i think it's fantastic for people who like this style of games and uh, that remedy has done in the past and altogether really good uh i i want to make a note too that the 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 architecture in this game is phenomenal it's all like uh brutalist construction stuff um really really good i won't hit on it very much i will say that there's a polygon video that analyzes the architecture in this game uh, that I, I highly recommend checking out. We'll leave it in the in the description. It, it's phenomenal and gives you a lot of idea about like kind of the world and environment of this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and 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 that kind of architecture is ageless. So yeah, totally ageless. Just like our next title called Ageless. <laughs> all, all of our fucking segues today have been like that, but they are really solid considering we're going at a good pace. <laughs> Uh, developed by One More Dream Studios. Uh, this is their only game right now. It was published by Team 17 Digital Ltd, uh, who we've seen a lot of their games on the bundle. Golf with Friends, Moving Out, Blasphemous, Automa Chef, Ukulele and the Impossible Layer, Overcook, By Time and Portia. Uh, they've done The Escapist, all of the Worm games. The I'm Alien starting Breed to games. think that the games that we see on the Humble Bundle might be related to the publishers that have deals with them. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I think that it's like, all right, we're we're gonna offer up a game for you from our library of games for the choice or something. I bet like it's some some sort of a deal like that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, oh, they're also making Going Under, which looks very fun. It's like a like a startup RPG, uh, very goofy looking. I don't know. I love it. Anyway. Uh, this is a story-driven puzzle platformer in the vein of uh, games like Celeste uh, about a girl named Kiara. She is given the ability to be able to age or unage the life of anything that she shoots her arrows into. Uh, however, she suffers from the most relatable flaw of all, imposter syndrome. Most of the Fucking solutions... <laughs> yeah, dude. 
See, like, most of the solutions to the problems that she wants to solve don't really work the way that she wants or expects them to. Uh, for example, earlier on in the, in the game, uh, she's trying really hard to, like, get this flower to save a little girl that she found that uh, would, like, if she if she advanced her life, she would, like, potentially kill her, right? Because it would advance the disease. If she went mm -hmm. backwards, it wouldn't solve anything because the disease is still there. So the only way to solve it is to go to the top of this huge tower, uh, this tree, and, and pluck this flower and then give it to her. But then when she gets to the flower, she finally finds out that like it would doom the entire town that she's come that she came from and like destroy it entirely and like make it so that it would like be a, a lifeless area and uh so she returns unsuccessful only to find her brother who also just gained like some sort of crazy teleportation power is like fucking pissed that she didn't actually get the thing like she said she was going to and uh he sort of goes off to do his own thing uh and i don't really know where the story goes from there cuz this game is like pretty hard and i didn't get too super far into it honestly though i am surprised at how few people have given this game a shot uh it might be because of the difficulty but there's only 21 reviews for this game and only 5.1 percent of players even got to the third achievement like i did for the review and like that's insane to me i feel wow. like there's just nobody playing this game <laughs> like i don't know if it's because of the art style that it's like a little bit like chibi where like you don't see the faces uh unless you're in like a cutscene or something and it, it there's sort of some weird visual inconsistencies like i remember at one point i was standing next to a character and kiara was literally half the size of the other character just like you know weird little like visual things like that that it's sort of like eh, that's a little weird um but like I don't know. Uh, and like the, the, the difficulty also can be mitigated somewhat by a, the use of this slowdown move, which uh, is how she activates her ageless power, uh, or one of the ways. Where basically, when she touches anything in this power, uh, she sort of stops what she's doing and she freezes, and then you get to choose a direction. And then in that direction, you get propelled outward, where the object that you're, you're aging, de-aging, gets propelled the opposite way. At, at an equal sort of velocity so if you do that to like a creature that sort of devolves into an egg then you can like launch the egg really far away or you can jump off of the egg and sort of use it as like a platform if that makes sense yeah yeah so it's it, it's a little bit to get your head wrapped around because it's like it's so complicated and like it involves like the, the use of like literally sucking the life out of creatures or giving it back to them by like aging them up or de-aging them uh but it comes with like a lot of very interesting sort of unique gameplay ramifications because you'll run into creatures that like will be useful to you at different stages of their life like uh an egg can be launched right like that that's like the dino uh and uh the dino can also be like used as a teenager because he like gets angry at you whenever he sees you and then charges at you and mm -hmm. you can actually stand on top of him when he does that and use him as a platform uh, to go, like, do some crazy jumps. Uh, and then there's, a, yeah. there's another one there, like, if you age him up even more, then suddenly he gains the extra utility of being, like, a trampoline. And he'll, like, launch you into the air. And, and little things like that are sprinkled all throughout this game where it's, like, just genius little gameplay decisions of, like, oh, so, like, uh, this character will give me this benefit at this stage of their life, and I have to use that in this complicated platforming thing. So it's sort of like this this 
very interesting mix of precise platformer with sort of a puzzle element to it. Uh, and it's really clever the way that it incorporates uh, the sort of main mechanic of it. But uh, I will say that like, it is just so precise, the, the the jumps that you have to do a lot of the time. It's honestly, like, way too precise. I think that if they just made it a little easier for players for some of these jumps, it would be so much more accessible. Uh, like, just, like, moving, like, a platform, like, a couple inches to the left and, and, like, just getting rid of a tiny little bit of spikes is, like, all that is, like, really required for a lot of these. Because it's just too precise, the timing. You know, you just have to get it too perfect and it just gets frustrating when you know the solution to a puzzle and you can't implement it that that is mm -hmm. i i think a, a big issue that might be something that that makes people drop off of this experience uh I, i'm just trying to rack with like why why is it that people don't latch on to this game you know maybe it's just the reviews seem to say the precision the precision yeah. required is a little unnecessary yeah, it seems unnecessary for a game like this and in the sort of the story that it's trying to tell. But if you are the type of person that, like, maybe you've beaten Celeste, you know, and, like, you love these this genre of game of, like, really difficult, challenging, story-based platformers, like, there's a lot to this one. And there's a lot of collectibles you can find along the way. And, like, uh, after I beat, like, the, the tree mission... The the next mission took place in like an entirely mechanical area where like every single thing was different. There none of the mechanics from the previous era carried over besides like the sort of things that my character could do. It was all Damn. entirely new, and I was like shocked at like how much more the game had to offer when I kept pressing onward. So I'm wondering if like even after this like mechanical area, if there's like even more cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, like and just the idea of like. Her aging ability you being used in programs to like go back in like version files and stuff like that <laughs> like it's an interesting implementation of that 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 central game yeah mechanic. that's really cool yeah so um yeah that's that's basically it if, if you got imposter syndrome i i'd say doubly recommended maybe but <laughs> but otherwise uh maybe the precision might be a little bit too much and it'll probably push you away but if it sounds like you're up for a challenge then give this one a go Hell yeah! Uh, the next game another was also challenging experience. <laughs> yeah, this is, is a very next game. Oh, Elix. this is a challenging game, huh? <laughs> uh, this is made by the developer Piranha Bytes, which also did Risen and the Gothica games. Uh, David and I are both going to be talking about this because I played it a little bit, but got overwhelmed with life, and he had to kind of take over. So yeah, and I barely got anywhere in it, but I'll still talk about it a little bit. <laughs> But it's interesting because we both kind of have differing opinions about the game for the opposite reasons. Yeah, I feel like we actually like latched on to different things about this game that we liked and we latched on to different things that we disliked. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to talk about. It. So the publisher of Elix is THQ Nordic. They have done games like Destroy All Humans, SpongeBob, SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom, Darksiders, This is the Police, DeBlob, uh, Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy, and so many more games. Uh, it, it's sort of fun that they've managed to stay alive for this long <laughs> i don't know how uh this game is very much in the vein of other gothic games so if you like the gothic games then you'll probably know what to expect here uh, if you've never played those they're kind of like euro jank uh open world rpgs sort of in the vein of like the witcher actually incredibly in the vein of the witcher i'd say uh but sort of on a little bit of a lower budget. 
you know. So uh, like The Witcher One. Yeah, well, uh, not not that bad. I've played The Witcher One. <laughs> the Witcher One is pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> but like you, you that's sort of like you know what to expect when you're kind of going into it more for the story and the world building and the the sort of that that element rather than like how good the combat is because the combat mm-hmm. kind of jank it's it's okay it's serviceable it's kind of dark soulsy where you you've got yeah, it's like, supposed to be souls like like yeah. brutal unforgiving you don't get hit uh, but also you have, like, guns and stuff. Yeah, so the world, I think, sh- deserves a little bit of explaining, because it's weird. It's like a post-apocalypse sci-fi world where the main sort of contention in this world is that there's, like, this new element that has been discovered, and it has basically replaced all other science, where, like, it's people... the elix. Yeah, the elix, the element elix. And uh, ever since then, it has given, like, humanity both magical powers and the ability to harness, like, insane super technology in, like, to the future. It's basically cocaine. It's cocaine. Yeah. They they found magic crystal cocaine. They found super magic crystal space cocaine, and it's going to make them be super crazy. And, of course, that has made some people be like, you know, maybe it'd be better if we were just Vikings or something. So you have, like, these two sort of conflicting sets of ideals where you have, like, people that are using all these, like, future tech using Elix, and then you have the people that have sworn off Elix because of the sort of dangers that it presents. Okay, so, well, there's, to 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 expand on that, there's four predominant yeah. factions in the game. There are, like, the, 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 like, psychopaths, the ones that, like, took the drug to the point of breaking their mind and going insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, the Viking dudes that are, like, we swore off the technology, we use axes because, like, we don't want the consequences of, of this crazy space crystal. And then there's, like, the religious folks that, like, kind of worship it and use it in, like, a sort of this is magic and we embrace the magic of it in essence. Right. And then there's like the main antagonist group, which is the like, we are the space colonizers who found the perfect balance to clear our emotions by using this crystal, but also we still think and can colonize. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the relationship between those four different factions is a very interesting dynamic. My only real complaint about it is like, I don't get, because it sort of presents itself like an alternate universe where, like, we were just suddenly introduced to Elix. Why would we get rid of all other technologies? Why Why would any other technology not exist? I didn't get the presentation exist? of it. I got the presentation that, like, it's been around for a hot minute. And oh, yeah? here's a quick flash forward 100 years of the results of it. I guess so. I don't know. It was just so quick, like, the sort of full explanation of it that, like, the mm-hmm. entire time I was thinking, like, well... If they're not allowed to use Elix, then why aren't these Vikings using electricity? Why aren't they using, <laughs> like, I don't know, toilet paper? Like, we invented these things, and they don't require Elix, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't get why, like, and from a world-building perspective. Well, there was, though, from a world-building perspective, is, like, the they, they describe it, because, like, I, I think the, the important distinction there is there was, like, there was the old world, there was hmm. the discovery of Elix, and then there was sort of the, like, post-Elix, we've gone into an apocalyptic hell world. Right. Um, and, and I think they, they make a mention of that lightly, in that, like, the ruins that you're going through are old world. Those are the, like, okay, this was civilization with technology, with, like, computers and servers before we got Elix and, like, made things buck wild. And I think it, I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't get that far in, but, like, my perception of it was it was sort of like a, 
uh, a regression, like the the war left mm. people or the event left people regressed back to a point where they're sort of rebuilding. I see. And I guess like when 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 I hear that, I think like if they're going to rebuild, then why are they going back to Viking? Well, because I think it's that idea of like, and this is such like a cool philosophical like, kind of conversation of that, like, I mean, if everything was wiped out today, how many people would be able to recreate the internet and electricity? And I then guess. like, imagine that mm. to the extent of like, we've already abandoned the internet and electricity because we found something better. And then that thing that was better was what was wiped out. And by then we've all definitely forgotten how to do it. I guess it's sort of like a Dr. Stone thing where like the only way that you they would ever be able to work is if like you had some fucking super genius kid who actually memorized every single scientific fact and could just recreate it. Like, mm -hmm. okay, okay. Uh, well, I mean, like, okay, I, I, I should say that, like, we should probably talk about, like, the main character a little bit, too, because this was another one of my complaints, is, like, I couldn't, yeah. like, the, the main character is a dick. I don't, I don't know why he's so mean. Well, because, I mean, that's the, okay, <laughs> I loved the main character, because yeah? the main character is a fucking asshole, because he comes from the, the people who have been using Elix in the manner in which their emotions don't matter, like, that's, mm. that's the purpose, you were a commanding officer, and you fucked up, and so they tried to kill you. And so you're still you're still withdrawing from the elix that's in your system mm. that you've been using and manipulating for years to make you an emotionless war machine. And so, like, I really loved that presentation of the character at the start that, like, oh, I, I am still this character. I still, like, I speak in logics and facts, and I don't allow my emotions to overturn me because, like, that is what we do. We, we can't have emotions because we're space dicks, like... <laughs> I guess that does make sense when you frame it like that. And there is an interesting sort of growth that your character can go through with the way that the the sort of consequences of your actions are viewed through other characters. Could, could mm -hmm. you touch a little bit on that system? Because there's sort of like a, a thing where like people can perceive you as being more cold or being more like uh, honest and compassionate. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty traditional sort of like uh, your your actions have impact system like every every time you talk to a character there's usually like one or two dialogue options that pop up that like you can respond in three different ways and it's the sort of like i can respond kind of empathetically i can respond like an asshole or like i can respond with like a shrug them off and not acknowledge it mm -hmm. um and and each of those sort of influences the way the characters like you and respect you uh so yeah okay yeah and, and and I don't know how much that will affect like the late game. I'm sure that it'll basically affect like which factions and stuff you'll be able to like join and that kind of thing. Uh, See, that's the really interesting thing that like that was one of my complaints is the way it presents the factions at the start mm -hmm. of the game. Uh, you meet one of the characters that introduces you to the faction, and basically you're given a decision right off the bat that's like either follow me or figure out the fucking game yourself and find a different faction. <laughs> Wow, so it's like, <laughs> this is the tutorial faction, and then there's the rest. Yeah, exactly. It was very much like, well, here's your options. The other people are wandering in the wasteland, and you can find them if you want to join their faction, or you can stick with me, and I can get you some swords, but we're going to take away your gun. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that actually makes sense, though, because that's like some of the first people that you end up meeting after this whole shtick is like, uh, the, the, the sword only people. The and Viking like, folks, yeah. Yeah, but, like, I also never really played much of the, the gun combat. I don't really know how that played super well. I, I played it more like a sort of Dark Souls-y sort of a deal, where it was mainly going, like, shield and sword and kind of trying to get in there. And you complained a lot about, like, the dodging in this game, which 
Uh, I, I I need to go back and try it with a controller because I don't know. I'm just not a fan of double tap dodge. I, you don't have I, to. I use Lasta to like fine tune my movement too much, and I so agree. I was constantly rolling off ledges and stuff. And I I was too, and then I went into the options menu and I found a little thing that allowed me to disable uh that option and then basically switch it to be a different button. Oh, fantastic! There you go. That that yeah. was my big complaint. Is just I I hate double tap dodge. I don't know why people use that system. If if you're using movement like it's a bad system. Yeah, it feels bad. It doesn't work very well, especially when you're just, like, walking around, because I'll just be, like, pressing forward most of the time, and then I'll press D twice, because I want to, like, make myself move a little bit to the right, and, and then doing that will cause me to fucking leap epically over to the fucking right, and I don't want what that. What was really getting me, too, is there's, like, there's some platforming sections. Like, there's secret areas you can find by platforming, and so, like, I would, I would be, like, inching close to an edge. Like, I gotta get to the very edge of this so that I can jump up, and then I double-tap W and just roll off and die, because I yeah. fucking fell off a ledge that I was trying to platform. Yeah, and, and in that sense, I think that, like, that's a feature that should just be, like, it should just be a button. It should not be double-tap. It should be a button by default, and I don't mm -hmm. know why it's that way but you can at least change it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all in all, I, I was enjoying the game. The movement was my biggest complaint. Uh, I, I wanted to give yeah. it more time. I, I think it's got some decent world building. The writing's a little surface level, uh, but I, I was interested in exploring it more. I liked the idea of a sort of like open world faction based, uh, Dark Souls esque gameplay game, and yeah. so I, with like a mix I of fantasy of and sci fi as well. Like that's a huge yeah. element that like not many other games have such a diverse mix of sci fi and fantasy elements in the same universe. Um, and this one does a really good job at that. Yeah, and sort of justifying why they are there, even if in in a first pass, I was sort of like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I will say that there are also, there's a game-breaking bug that I experienced right at the very beginning where, like, uh, if I tried to talk with one of, like, the people that had to progress the main story, then the game would break and Oof. it would freeze completely and I couldn't play any further. And that's part of the reason why I didn't play any more than what I did was because I kept running into that bug and I didn't know how to get past it. Uh, there's a way to get past it, I think. But it's just, like, you're gonna experience some hard times with this game, I feel like, with the, these kinds of Eurodrink games, where it's sort of like we built a massive open world, and we put as many different possible things as we could in it, but we didn't have enough money for QA testing, so there's gonna be some drink. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's to be expected. Yeah. Any Anytime a game dumps me in a map that's just like, I can press M and see everywhere I can go, I expect there, like, even fucking... <laughs> Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, even those fucking games are riddled with bugs, like... Yeah. Oh. There was something I was going to say. Sounds like you're stuck. Stuck at home. One could say that I'm homestuck. Homestuck. <laughs> <laughs> Pester Quest, folks, is the next game that we are going to be doing, talking about. Uh... The following will contain minor spoilers for Homestuck. I'm not going to give you exact times, mainly because the spoilers aren't that big of a deal and you can just skip the time in the description anyway, so I'm sorry. You have been warned. I can't believe I'm talking about this game. I literally, when this game came out, it was like after I had kind of fallen off the Homestuck bandwagon. Uh, it, after it, was, it was like a really long, like three month or four month long gigapause where like there was just no updates to the comic and I just like stopped reading it. And 
when I saw this game, I was like, oh man, some reviewer is going to have to fucking review this shit without any context of Homestuck. And I, I think you said like, oh man, why didn't you give it to me? Because <laughs> 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 that, that would have been perfect. But I think at the same time, uh, a little bit of reverence is due to the source material. So uh, Maybe we'll do a bonus. I'll review this game with no context of Homestuck. <laughs> that would be really fun, honestly. I would be very curious. Because <laughs> it's, it's literally just you become friends with the various characters of Homestuck, and that's it. It's just <laughs> wish fulfillment, fantasy, like the world doesn't end like it's supposed to, and you stop the proceedings of Homestuck from happening like they were supposed to in an alternate universe, and you get to befriend them. That's it. So is is this just fan service? Yes. Okay. Yes. That is all that this is. Uh it's developed by uh the What Pumpkin Games Inc. Uh they're the people that made Hive Swap 1 and 2 as well as Hive Swap Friendsim, which this is a loosely a sequel to. That game is sort of a game where you're just running around talking with a bunch of like what I believe are just like fan trolls or something. Like 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 fan made OC characters and you just get to befriend them in like this alternate planet. All right, so small confusing clarification here. Uh, the characters in this, for the most part, are not fan trolls. It turns out that a lot of them are actually like canon in terms of them being in Hive Swap, which is a game that I have not played. It's a point and click adventure game that is set in the Homestuck universe that uses a lot of the same uh, terminology and ideas, but with a brand new set of characters. Uh, yeah, uh, so that's why I don't know any of these characters, but that being said, at least two of them have to be fan troll characters, because I remember the Kickstarter for Hive Swap, and at least two of those motherfuckers paid $10,000 to get their fan troll made into being canon on, on Hive Swap, so that was for Hive Swap Friends Sim, and this is for Pester Quest. Anyway, the fan trolls exist, I... Back to the show. Uh, I think pretty much every memory of that game is, like, for the most part, wiped from your character when they play the Pester Quest, so, like, it's not relevant, but every once in a while they'll be like, I remember this place. Why do I remember things of this place? And, and the reason why is because it's the same fucking character from Friend Swap. This is also published by Fellow Traveler. They did games like Neocab, Stillness of the Wind, The Orwell Games, Hacknet, Paradise Killer, which is dope, uh, Suzerain, which is a game that just came out recently, and, of course, all the other Homestuck games. Uh, so what is a homestuck? This, this is where it's gonna have to start because I can't really talk about this game, which is a fan service game, without talking about the original comic it was based off of. So let let's see how long David can give an overview of Homestuck without it being wordy, because it's an eight thousand long page comic. So let's let's see how I do. According to the website, it is. A massive internet-based narrative work consisting of comics, chat logs, GIFs, games, animations, and music. In other words, a fucking webcomic. Uh, hypertext links are used to progress the story in sort of the style of, like, DOS game commands. Uh, originally, uh, he posted the, uh, like, earlier stories like Jailbreak and uh, Problem Sleuth and stuff like that to uh, his forum MS Paint Adventures. And people on the forum would submit their responses and their replies. For Jailbreak, he would just take whatever the first response was, and that was what the action was that they would take. <laughs> it first come, first serve, and it was really chaotic. Uh, and it, it, this is sort of evolving off of that, uh, where like now he's got his own website, and he started making his own commands to move the story forward instead of only using the user-generated commands. 
and it's but it's sort of keeping the spirit of his older work where it's always going on like these weird diatribes that are like hey go shit on your desk kid like you don't know why you're always being asked to go shit on your desk but you have the irresistible urge to shit on your desk and you don't know why it's because of the command <laughs> and uh in that sense it's sort of like metatextual but it's super meta oh my god i I should start. This franchise's use of the second person is really fucking inspired, I think. Uh, I just... For me, na name any other work of fiction that you can think of off the top of your head that uses the second person. Not the first, not the third, the second. I'm about to blow your mind. What's that? Because I wrote a second person short story in a creative writing class once. Motherfucker. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I wonder if I can find it. <laughs> I want I want to read it then. Because like... That is so sick, but so few things ever use the second person. The only thing that I could even think of are choose-your-own-adventure books where you are the character, and it's describing you do this action, you do that action, and that's how Homestuck is formulated. So whenever you are playing as a different character, it says, you are Dave, you do this, you do that, you are Rose, you do this, you do that. And it's like weird how in the head it gets to for each individual character and how like extra how much extra sort of story information it ends up providing because of that uh and also how meta it ends up getting because of course the person reading the comic is a character in the comic it's constantly referring to you the reader as being the person controlling the narrative that's that's progressing um so he'll often the 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 author of the homestuck uh, the author of the homestuck andrew hussey uh will fucking make jabs at his readers and also himself within the text of the comic uh famously he once drew himself kissing rufio from the lost boys from steven spielberg's film hook and it got so much attention that dante bosco the actor who who played rufio reached out and read the webcomic himself to understand the context and now has his own troll OC within the context canon of the original comic of Homestuck. So it's insane how like things outside of the comic end up becoming important within the comic. And that's how I think it ends up ended up becoming such a weird cultural phenomenon for such a, such a long yeah. time. Um, there's uh, animations and flash games in this webcomic. It really sets it apart, uh, where it uses like almost every artistic medium available at the time to tell its story in a really cool and inventive way. Uh, for example, there was a 13-minute animation that ended the Act 3 of the webcomic that like blew my fucking mind as a kid when it first came out, because the entire thing is like action constantly and really good music, too. Um, so, like... <laughs> uh, this game... This this webcomic has been compared to Ulysses before uh, in, in, in the sense that it is so overly complicated and with its non-linear plot of like time fucking fuckery shenanigans and alternate universes that are all canon. In other words, a big part of the appeal of Homestuck is the sort of circuitous nature of its own existence and the way that it structures its plot in its completely non-linear format that invites the participant of the story to really kind of piece everything together it's got a really high reading difficulty and it's been cited as one of the first works of like internet fiction like the, one of the first great works in terms of it being like uh, a sort of epic narrative that like i mean literally 
in interviews later, he explained that, like, he set out to create a comic about the creation of itself. About about a, a, a universe being created by people playing a game. And that is exactly what he ended up creating. And there's so much here to just insert yourself into. Because, like, he did it all in fucking MS Paint to start out with, for the most part. God damn. And you can just copy, like, you can make your own characters in MS Paint so easily. This is why it was such a big deal for so long. Because you don't need Photoshop, really. That's what he used for a long time afterwards, after he dropped MS Paint. But, like, you can literally just, like, copy-paste this shit into a fucking MS Paint doc, and then you can make your own characters within minutes. I made my own. Like, and, and they have, like, rules and sort of ways that, that you can easily sort of set to sort of make it feel like it's a part of the universe, even though it's not. And, and like, it is just genius. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, really, like, for, for a story about four kids who just play a game and stumble on, like, an alien world that are just sort of transported into it, it's, it's just got so, so much to, to really make you want to put yourself into the world, and, and I don't know. It, it's, it's the gist of it, I guess, without getting into more specifics. Lots more characters get introduced, characters die, lots more stuff happens. I gotta talk about Pester Quest. <laughs> uh, that's that's the end of that shit fucking hell uh so in this game you play as a blank slate fan insert character who's lost their memories of playing uh all of the previous games uh and it takes place just after reading the homestuck epilogues which are like a series of prose poetry basically that was released after the conclusion of homestuck which for the record i have not actually read i stopped after the gigapause and i did not have time to read after the gigapause like the 2000 pages that i have left um Coward. i'm sorry i didn't have time for the review <laughs> uh i only got halfway through this game <laughs> so you basically uh travel through space and time and your only goal is to make friends with the various characters of homestuck each chapter focuses on one character at a time and you get to select anyone that you want right from the get-go if you want to just go straight to the end of the game and play only the characters that are available after you've talked with all the others, you can. It'll mention that, like, you, things that you've done in other routes, but, like, you don't have to do it in order if you don't want to, which is kind of neat, if you only have a couple characters that you actually care about and want to check in with. Um, but basically, it's just... This game is just fuck canon. What if Egbert never got Spurb, the game that they play, and the world never ended because they never played the game? And it sort of goes from there uh, with this fan insert character that has no definition of boundaries and the ability to warp at will in space and time. Uh, and it's just frequently the joke that, like, your character has no boundaries and that that's the thing that they have to overcome. Like, because <laughs> as, as a fan <laughs> insert character, they're like, I love you. I want to hang out with you. I don't know why, but you're cool. Because <laughs> he had all of his memories wiped. And... Uh, it's just constantly like, why are you here? Why are you in my house? Who are you? I'm doing things. Like, but you have to sort of overcome that initial hurdle. And it's, it's all very self-referential in that sense. But it also feels like just a fan fiction. Like, it feels like an officially published $10 wish fulfillment fan fiction. And honestly, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, there, I think, is a lot to be said about the inclusivity of Homestuck as a franchise. Uh, and how it really feels like it actually portrays the issues that 
13 year olds go through in a way that I feel like no other piece of media has ever done for me. Um, shit like, you know, dealing with doting parents uh, or parents that don't care, growing up without parents, siblings that don't know how to raise each other but try their best, uh, like questions about sexuality and what it means to be lonely, to seek friendship through the people that you meet online, but also like the dumb anime and movies that we watch, the video games that we stuff, like role playing that we enjoy, the antics that we get up to from shipping and fan art to fan fiction and weirdly obsessing over memes. And then it just gets real again, showing you characters with like disabilities and drugs and alcoholism. And, and like what leads to, to that, and but also just chatting about dumb shit online to fill the void. Uh, it allows you to just sort of escape the problems of your home life through this sort of fictional universe. I, I think that that is why Homestick means so much to people, and to this day, why it is such a lasting cultural artifact. Because it's, it's this story about kids raised with trauma, and how they cope with that through their online relationships. And if that isn't the most relatable thing to like people growing up nowadays, I don't know what else is. It's like, that that's why I think mm-hmm. that that's what's so important about that's it. That's why to it me. kicked off so well, yeah. yeah. Um like for example, the the trolls in this comic, at first you think that they're just like weird mean people on the internet, and then it's later revealed that they're like an entire race of people living on their own planet with their own biology, rules, and customs. And there was this one quote from Pester Quest that like actually really got to me about like why this like homestuck is so important. Uh it was about troll society in that they could never make violence good, so they had to make it fun. They had to make it fun to hurt people. And, like, that is, like, and trolls are sort of, like, I think a large allegory for, like, literally trolls on the internet. Like, people that are mean for the sake of being mean, because that's what they were taught. Because that's how they were raised, because they were raised in, like, a fucking wild, feral wasteland. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? It, and, and it sort of portrays that, but it does it in a way that, like, makes you feel like you could actually live there. In, in a way that you could actually escape to there. E- even though it's like hostile and unfriendly, it's like interesting and uh, there are characters there that you love. And, and so it's just, I don't know. This game is just everybody lives, semi-canon fan fiction about fucking people becoming friends with a fucking nameless entity who's literally like a self-insert. Like he's just, he, like from, <laughs> you, you know like those like draw yourself comics? It's like insert yourself here. He's that character. Yo. He's just that character. He's like a, he's faceless, just with like a smile and like a blank, just white blocky body. And I fucking love that. You, and characters address that fact. They're like, you look weird. Are you an alien? <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's awesome. Uh, if you like Homestuck or you used to like it, you'll probably enjoy meeting these characters again. There's nothing for you if you've never played Homestuck. There's nothing here. I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> nothing at all for you here if you have not played Homestuck. I, I, I don't, I can't imagine somebody really enjoying this that much. If they have, I mean, like maybe as like a, a, a fun little friendship simulator where you just get to like make friends with a bunch of weird characters. But even then, it's just like riddled with spoilers from beginning to end. So it's like. But if you're not going to read it, then, like, fuck it. Fuck it, I guess. Spoilers matter. Right. Um, but I will say that if you're going to read Homestuck today, um, do not read it through the website, because the, the death of Flash has actually affected Homestuck pretty significantly. Uh, and you can buy our complete collection DVD at <laughs> bundlebourgeoisie.com. Shut the fuck up. We don't have that. <laughs> We're not that cool. <laughs> Um, uh, basically the unofficial Homestuck collection is this fucking, you can download all of Homestuck and all of the related Homestuck media 
onto an executable on your desktop just like sitting there and so you can have it all in one place including all of like the weird like olive garden rambling wordpress like blog posts that hussy would post that ended up becoming part of like the canon text of homestuck it's all there and you can read it all and it's super well contained and it doesn't actually it like presents it so that it it, it avoids spoilers it's like it doesn't show you anything that like would be a spoiler you wouldn't know yet yeah yeah, yeah. And that's cool it, and it tells you exactly the day that everything was posted and stuff too it's so good i highly highly recommend it if it's your first time reading the comic because it keeps everything preserved and all of the flashes intact uh which you can't get on the website also psycho colonials is a game that hussy is in the middle of making right now it's like he's releasing chapters ongoing and it's about like influencers that are clowns that are also lesbians and they get to uh become space influencers and it looks amazing hell yeah so anyway uh that's my long diatribe that's defense it. of home we did stuff. it we did the podcast yeah we did it oh thank fuck <laughs> let's zoom through the end game of the month what is it god why would you tell me that first yours is wildfire right fuck <laughs> was it was it hold on 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 hold on is it could it be hold on was it are you looking uh, through them all? Are you are you having? I like... just like to take a quick moment to talk about Ruin Raiders. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God! We never put that in here. Thank fuck. You we did had that. an extra this month. Ruin Raiders. You played it, right? Yes, I did. Oh, thank fuck! I didn't play it. <laughs> well, I was supposed to play it. Yeah, and I did. Good. And I'm a good boy. Thank you. Uh, this was this was one of those games that they did like a here's a here's a pre-release demo that you can play because the game is re- planning to release coming soon. Uh, I don't know what the actual release date is. The developers are Overpowered Team. They've also done uh, Intergalactic Transfer Station and God Strike. Hmm. Uh, this is a top-down uh, statistical shooter roguelite. So it's it's sort of in the vein of like XCOM, uh, but it's a roguelite. So like you're designed to die repeatedly. Uh, you you sort of navigate through the world and find little treasure chests full of gear and stuff. So you gear up as you're going, rather than having like a sort of operational menu. Um, I think it's pretty solid. The the demo left a lot to be wanting uh it, it's it's very cutely themed you play as like a cute little dog and a and an eagle and a rhino uh you the weapons and stuff all kind of give variance in gameplay uh, i i didn't get terribly far in um i got to like the second world and then died i think i don't know exactly how long the demo is uh but it's nice there's a lot of like cool upgrade paths you can go through as you're leveling up through the through the world uh the 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 gameplay, you know, it's 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 what you'd expect. So if you like that sort of XCOM thing and you also like roguelites, you'll probably enjoy this when it releases. Uh, I'd say give the demo slash download a, a try if you have the subscription. Um, otherwise, pretty solid, pretty straightforward. Exactly what you'd expect. A little repetitive. Mm. Most of the times, like the, the environment sort of randomly generated and the combat encounters and the rooms in which the combat encounters happened were, were pretty predictable and expected. Uh, so there, there wasn't a lot there, but that could just be because it's a limited release of it. So I, I think there's a lot to look forward in the game. I think it does a lot of cool things. Uh, and then who knows? Keep your eye out for it. It could be fun. It could be fun. Could be fun. Could be fun. Yeah. All right. 
The game of the month right. this time for real, please. <laughs> uh, my game of the month was Wildfire. Yeah, okay. I, I loved it. I loved the experience. I enjoyed playing it co-op. I enjoyed interacting with the dev. Uh, XCOM and Control are pretty close seconds, but Wildfire was new and exciting. And the the experience working with the dev, just no, not working with them, but just having them pop in and just be like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> it was like so memorable, and I'm gonna cherish that forever. Uh, Mm-hmm. However, I really like Cyberhook. I think that Cyberhook is fucking amazing. And I think that um actually like I said before that like if there was one game that I was going to learn to speedrun, it would probably be Verlet Swing. It's not Verlet Swing anymore. Now it's Cyberhook. Cyberhook is so so much fun to zip through all the levels and zoom through. It's like one of the best first-person platformers I've ever played. So please, if you have an interest in the genre, go give it a try. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I've also been playing Valheim, Among Us, some Dead by Daylight, a little bit of chess, Loop Hero, which is fantastic, and and some Valorant. I got an ace the other day after not having played for like a month, which was fun. Wow, look at you. I've been playing... First round with pistols, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah! Dude, pistols, that's impressive. Uh, I've been playing Animal Crossing a whole lot with the Mario update and stuff that that has been happening. Uh, avoiding it now that the Easter update has has appeared, uh, and and that the bunny is sort of terrorizing my villagers. Uh, Skullgirls Second Encore, I've been playing uh, as well as Tekken Seven on my uh, fighting game nights. I really enjoy those games. Uh, Dead by Daylight, played a little bit here and there. Also some Valheim and some Among Us, and I also gave For the King a good college try for the first time with me and Guff the other night. Yeah, For the King's a lot of fun. Yeah, I really like one. it. Yeah, it's a good game actually. Um, uh, the charity this month is Girls Who Code. Oh, uh, they are a group that is de- designated. That's not the word I'm looking for. They are dedicated. Dedicated. Thank you. Uh, dedicated to reaching girls around the world. Uh, to bridge the gender gra- the g- <laughs> the gender oh, group. Let's take that. The gender, gender group. <laughs> uh, let's take this again. Okay. Uh, they are dedicated to reaching girls around the world and bri- bridging the gender gap between males and females in entry level tech jobs. They are on track to close it by 2027. Currently, so like, let's get some more. Let's get some more girls into into tech jobs, baby. More girls in. Get those girls in the kitchen where they belong. Do you remember the, sorry, that was in reference to a Burger King ad that (laughs) (laughs) you were so afraid for a second. I knew it was a goof. Yeah. I was like, okay, David, where are you going? No, it was like, it was Burger King. Not me that said this. It was (laughs) literally, it was like that, like the the first tweet that they posted, like women belong in the kitchen. And then like a long subtweet of like, the reason why is because uh, women are undervalued and uh, we Mm -hmm. belong more in the workforce. And currently it's a largely male workforce. And we believe more women deserve jobs at Burger King. At which point they spent $2 million to give two women jobs at Burger King or something like that for their ad campaign. Yep. It's insane. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Buck wild. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that a long diatribe. But... <laughs> uh, our question this month was, what tabletop RPG would you want to see turned into a video game? And we had a couple answers this month. Yeah. And we're also going to give you ours because this is all a super episode. A super episode. Uh, so Conway was the first person to suggest Gloomhaven. I've not actually played Gloomhaven. Oh, I've got a I got a box of it if you want to play sometime. It's yes. a legacy game, so I would love that. I would love to. It's basically D and D light. Uh yeah. Uh and Elker like uh requested or suggested paranoia, although HOA would be a close second. Mm. What's HOA? Uh it is Incorrect. The thing he meant it to write was Hall, H O L, 
the thing he wrote HOA is the Homeowners Association. Hall is a role-playing game created by Dirt Merchant Games and is made to be sort of like a stab at other popular role-playing games of the time like Vampire the Masquerade and Dungeons and Dragons and the people who play them. It takes place in the far future in the planet Hall, which literally stands for the human-occupied landfill and may even be representative of Earth. And it sounds pretty freaking rad, actually. I mean, a game with the stats of gray matter for intellect, meat for physical strength, feats for dexterity, mouth for charisma, and nuts for spiritual resolve has got to be a good game, right? I think, like, before I might have actually answered this weirdly. So somehow I'm, like, remembering me answering this question. And I think that before I might have answered, like, Akon or whatever I said. So I think uh, you're confusing two questions because our last question was what board game would you want? And this is uh, what tabletop RPG. Oh. I see. Yeah, no, totally. In that case, my question almost doesn't really work because it was an answer that somebody gave last time, I'm pretty sure. It was House on Haunted Hill. Uh, but I still think that like as a, a video game, it would be really interesting because I want to have a game where it's like, uh you're friends for a while and then after a certain point something happens and then one of you might betray some of the others that's just a cool cool mm -hmm. dynamic i like it a lot uh my answer is the i hunt tabletop rpg i i've been obsessed with this since i heard about it and i really want to play a campaign and i also want to see it turned into a video game because the whole premise is it's just it's it's millennial monster hunters that have an uber like app on their phone to go like find and track monsters hell yeah i fucking love that like darwin's game. so good yeah, yeah. All right. Um, that's it. That's we it. made it. We're done. We're done with the super podcast. That's it. We're done. Uh, now like it's gonna clock in about two hours. We've got to edit it, or one of us has to edit it. <laughs> do you want to split it? We could split it. We could. One do the first half, the other do the second half. That's an option. I don't know. We've never done we that. We could before. make a fun editor bit in there, in there with it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, either way, <laughs> that's it, folks. That's all, folks. That's it. <laughs> Can we do like the that like the Looney Tunes and exit for that one? No, we can't get DMCA. Oh fuck, you're right. Okay. That's illegal. We'll put in a copyright free Looney Tunes ending right there. Alright. Later. Alright, I'm done with my recording.